God speaks to us in his word in Mark 10, 1 through 12. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you the commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Katie. Uh, obviously, this morning, uh, we, we've got some, some good work to do. Uh, I don't want to say hard work. Uh, it might be hard for some of us. Uh, for others, it might not. Uh, but we do got some work to do. I've got uh, quite a bit to cover, so I'm going to try to say more with less words. Uh, and so some of our staff will get a kick out of that, but that's okay. Uh, if I have not had the opportunity uh, to meet you, uh, my name is Pat Robinson. I serve as one of the pastors here. And, and uh, uh, if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you. And so, and I want to welcome you this morning as we do step into a hard text. And uh, we will always step into hard text. Uh, we don't want to avoid it, but we want to... Uh, see what God says, and we want to see what he says together. So uh, if uh, I will pray for you, if you will pray for me, because I will desperately need it this morning as we walk through this, and pray that God's Spirit meets us here in his word uh, to teach us and grow us. Pray with me, please. Uh, Lord, we do thank you. Uh, we thank you that, that you are... Uh, a God that heals and a God that keeps working even when we can't see it, Lord. And uh, that you, you do do miracles and you do make a way. And we thank you for your word uh, that we can spend time in. And we do uh, just pray for your spirit this morning to open our hearts to uh, work and, and uh, soften our hearts to be teachable and to grow us where we need to grow and, and, and just uh, uh, allow us to have compassion when we need to have compassion. Uh, so, uh, Lord, we do uh, thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for his word uh, that we can know you through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this morning we will be in Mark 10 and we'll also be in... Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, and I want to share uh, just a little bit before we dive in. Uh, Jesus is the same when we're in Scripture, the same God that wrote Mark 10. 
wrote 1 Corinthians 7, the same God that established marriage and wrote about marriage in, in the Old Testament is the one and the same. And as we're looking at marriage and, and looking at divorce and remarriage this morning, uh, this church doesn't worship or isn't centered around marriage. This church is centered around the work and person of Jesus Christ. He is at the center. He is the one who redeems, who restores, and raises those from the dead and turns our mourning into dancing. Uh, so, uh, and we want to remember that. We often make idols of things that we don't intend to make idols of. And we don't want to make an idol of marriage, but we do want to take marriage serious. And we do want to listen uh, to what God's word especially has to say about marriage. And so as we jump into that, uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with facts around marriage. The percentage is uh, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Uh, 70% of second marriages end, of, end in divorce. And uh, unfortunately, those numbers hold true inside and outside the church. Uh, there's not much difference, basically one or two percent. And uh, so as we're stepping into this, I really want us to step into it with our hearts uh, and look at our hearts. Because so, as we go through these scriptures, uh, uh, we, we will see where the Pharisees were... Uh, they always had a plan, and the plan was to trap Jesus. And as we go through that, you'll see it. And likewise, Jesus had a plan to force the Pharisees to look at his heart, look at their hearts. And so this morning, I really want us to look at our hearts as, as we go through it. And, and uh, so, and especially if you're wrestling with questions around divorce and around uh, remarriage uh, or, or struggling, uh, this short sermon will not have all the answers. <laughs> I promise you that. Uh, and, uh, and it will be look more like a compass uh, pointing you to biblical ways and to Jesus than a roadmap from A to B. Uh, too many situations are unique. We want to look at that uniqueness and, and not the, uh, just make blanket statements about uh, uh, situations without knowing context and detail. So, uh, and, and we want to do that together. We want to do it with open Bibles. We want to do it with Christian community. And we want to, those that we know and trust that have spoken into our lives, uh, maybe even for years, we want to do that so we can, and, and through God's word, discern his will for whatever our varied or complex and unique situations might be. Uh, so as we dive in, we'll be in uh, Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, Jesus saves and teaches, and he teaches and is saved. And he left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. 
And the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his customs, he taught them. And we have seen this play out in several chapters so far. Wherever Jesus went, crowds went. And as was his custom, he taught them. And as was the Pharisees' custom, they tried to trap him uh, and tried to uh, trick him, uh, trip him up in Scripture and stuff. But Jesus' goal was to teach. He came to save and he came to teach. Uh, Jesus didn't just go straight to the cross once he was baptized and God's spirit came down and anointed him. He spent three years traveling and teaching. So Jesus uh, saves and he teaches and he teaches and he saves. And while we love his saving grace, we sometimes hesitate at, his, at being obedient to his teaching. We love his grace. We're sometimes hesitant to be obedient to his teaching. In his saving work, he rescues us from sin and death. And in his teaching works, he invites us into the kingdom to be shaped and formed. And we cannot remove his saving work from his teaching work. We can't separate Jesus as Savior and Jesus as teacher. Um, His death and resurrection and his teaching are both essential to the life in the kingdom of God. Uh, And the one who invites us, the one who rescues us, invites us to sit at the feet of the Father under his teaching and instruction. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been passed on and given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. We are saved to a kingdom of priests who sit at the feet of Jesus to grow in obedience. In Scripture, there's both mystery and instruction, and we need both to understand the teaching around marriage and divorce. Often, though, we like to call instruction mystery to avoid it. Especially when it comes to marriage. But God's word does contain much information around marriage and singleness. We're going to address both today. Again, there's much to be learned from it. And once again, God is the same Old Testament, New Testament, today, and tomorrow, and forever. And my hope is that we can seek to know God and His Word. That we might encounter Him as He is, 
not as we wish he was. We don't want any of our own self-created God. We want to encounter God as he is. And that we would behold that which is mysterious in awe and worship and encounter instruction with sincere, eager, and teachable hearts. And for us to do that, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be self-aware and be honest about our own experiences, our own desires and fears, and how they create a bias in us when it comes to his, his word. And we have to admit that. And we have to humbly come and surrender to the one that gave us his son for us. And so as we step into that, uh, the teaching that contains both mystery, instruction, and instruction. Let's read in Mark chapter two, um, Mark chapter ten, beginning in verse two. If you can't tell, I'm dyslexic, so if I say something backwards, you can point it out. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, and the Pharisees came up in order to test him, ask him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. All right, as we step into this, remember uh, some context here in some culture and, and that the Pharisees are trying to trap him. Uh, they do it all throughout the Gospels. And, try, and what are they trying to trap him around? And if you remember uh, the story of John back in Mark 6, as we walked through that, uh, that John called out Herod and Herodias uh, for their sinful marriage. Uh, Herodias had divorced Herod's uh, brother and uh, married Herod. And so John had called it out. And uh, so they're trying to get him uh, to call out Herod in the way he answers this so that he might also suffer the same fate and take a thorn out of their side. Uh, that's uh, one of the things that's happening here. And possibly the other thing is that they're hoping that Jesus would offend all of his followers, whether they're Jews or Romans or Greeks. Uh, a lot of them followed the school of Hallel when it comes to divorce and remarriage. 
In that school, Hillel was a rabbi who had taught that a man could divorce his wife for any reason. Uh, maybe he no longer liked the way she looked. He could divorce her. He burned supper last night. It was all right to divorce her. What, uh, for anything, literally anything, under this rabbi's teaching, uh, a man could put away his wife. And that was happening in the first century within the Jewish culture, within the Roman culture, and within the uh, Greek culture. That is the context that Jesus is speaking into. But Jesus doesn't address marriage from a first century uh, perspective or a 21st century perspective. His teaching on marriage doesn't begin with good good principles about good communications or a better sex life or how to resolve a conflict, his teaching on marriage is rooted in God's intended design for marriage. Mark 10, 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And Jesus goes back to the many, the beginning, male and female, image bearers of the one true God. They're joined and fitted together perfectly to create something that is profound and mysterious. And whether... In the Old Testament, talking about marriage, or in the New Testament, like in Ephesians 5.32, where Paul states that uh, marriage is a profound mystery that points us to Jesus in the church. Marriage points us to Jesus and his bride. And that's what it's supposed to do. Marriage is about the gospel. Jesus honors and cherishes his bride pursues his bride, even lays down his life for his bride. And likewise, in our marriages, if we're married, we're to do the same, to love and cherish and pursue and even lay down our lives for our, for our bride. And that that's, seems crazy to not only the world in this time, the, but in our cultural time, this is countercultural to the extreme. Uh, that you don't see that happening. And what you do see happening in our culture today around marriage is a tragic combination of romantic idealism and consumerism. And what I mean by the romantic idealism is that uh, finding a soulmate. The one true one that was meant for you. Uh, and when you do find that one, uh, he, will, he or she will complete you and life will be perfect. There is one who can complete you and that is Jesus and Jesus alone. No spouse, no boyfriend, no girlfriend can do that. And to put that on them is unfair. 
And unfortunately, our culture is taught that, that if I just find the one, and there's only one, And so we've set up a lot of bad ideas. Set a lot of traps for people to walk into. The other side of that is consumerism. Guess what? That one did not keep me happy. That one did not meet every need I had. So what I do under consumerism, that's a temporary contract that can be canceled. We're no longer making the other happy. We can cancel the contract. That's not what marriage is about. Marriage is about a unique relationship designed in God, full of awe and mystery and wonder <coughs> that provides us, uh, that points us uh, to the love of God and to Jesus and his church. It's a lifelong covenant that we uphold together. Jesus in 10.3 answers them, what did Moses command you? He said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. Divorce was and is a concession to the hardness of our hearts. That's, divorce is not God's will for marriage. Divorce is a product of the fall. In God's concession on divorce in the Old Testament a man was to issue that certificate to protect women and children because an unmarried woman had no rights. Her children had no rights. And as Ben taught last week in Mark 9 at the end of uh, the least of these, uh, when Jesus talks about allowing the little children to come he actually has translated the least of these, and it would have been these people, women who had been put away with their children, and God is protecting them because of our hard-heartedness, not because of his will.
In Mark 10, 10, once again, the disciples asked him about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Because of the spiritual and physical one fleshing that takes part within a covenant of marriage, Jesus is teaching that to break the marriage covenant and to marry another is adultery in God's eyes. Husband and wife just didn't sign a contract, but they were joined in one flesh and a covenant that included body and spirit. Marriage is both sacred and solemn, And it's to be a lifelong covenant that points us to the covenant that Jesus has made with us uh, and that God has made with us, that he will never let us go. It's a covenant he's made with his bride. And the only way that a marriage can work is if you do not have an out. If you have an out, you will take it. When things, gets hard, when things get hard, we want to bail out. It doesn't matter what. That's our tendency. That's our human nature. And uh, there's several experienced married couples in here, and you can ask any of them. Has it ever been hard? Did it ever get hard? Uh, within a, and normally it doesn't take that many years. <laughs> Some newlyweds just laughed. <laughs> uh, yeah. It gets hard. And if we have an out, we'll take it. God never intended it to be that way. He intended it to be like his relationship with us that he would never let us go. In God's economy, it's not passion or friendship or sexual intimacy that sustains the covenant of marriage. It is the covenant of marriage that both sustains and renews the intimacy and companionship of marriage. And so where does all of this lead us? Uh, teaching of the Bible and biblical teaching and history leads us to two things generally around this subject. Number one, and pretty much all churches agree on this, generally oppose divorce. And number two, be cautious regarding remarriage. God is both aware and sober about the dynamics of our broken world and our sinful hearts. The teaching of Scripture does seem to indicate there are times when a marriage may be so broken, so shattered, that divorce and remarriage could be possible. 
And, and when we get here, trusted teachers, churches, uh, often disagree on this, on what is exactly okay, what is not. Um, the elders at Frontline, uh, we believe through our study that the, that divorce and remarriage may be permissible in three instances. While also recognizing there is only one true, uncontroversial, explicitly clear way uh, that is given in, in Scripture uh, for remarriage, and that is in case of the death of a spouse. Uh, everything else is a little gray. And and depending on unique situations. And that takes a lot of time. A lot of walking with fellow Christians that you know and trust and they know and trust and love you. The three things are adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Adultery in Matthew 5.32, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another uh, commits adultery. And this is often referred to the exception clause because Jesus didn't mention it in Mark 10. Uh, but it's mentioned in Luke and it's mentioned in Matthew. And uh, they, uh, there's a lot of talk around that. And when you read scholars, you split 50-50 on what it means. And some scholars just completely avoid it to stay away from the controversy. But adultery is the breaking of a covenant. Uh, a covenant that God intended to last forever. And, and what happened under the Mosaical law if that covenant was broken? Death. Remember the woman in, in John caught in adultery and brought to Jesus. And they said, what would you have us do with it? The law says to stone her. Anyone caught in adultery is to be stoned and put to death. And Jesus tells them, okay, first one without sin casts the stone. And they all leave. And there's only one left. And he has no sin. And he chose grace and mercy. 
just like he gives us grace and mercy. And I, I struggle with giving grace and mercy. This week, I wanted to deal out some justice to protect some of my friends. And I'm reminded that God didn't deal with me out of justice. He dealt with me out of grace and mercy. The second is abandonment. And if you're about to get married, walking through maybe not being married anymore, I would suggest that you spend quite a bit of time in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verses 10 through 16. To the married, I give you this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any, any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and, is, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of, the, because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In cases, in cases the brother or the sister, in, the, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved, where God has called you to peace. For how do, we, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Uh, it appears that Paul is, in case of abandonment, giving some room uh, for possibly uh, divorce and remarriage. Once again, every situation is unique. And will have to be walked through individually. And abuse follows the same, the same logic as abandonment. Abuse being an extreme form of abandonment where the absence of presence and support is found in the presence of violence and evil. And... It's not okay to live in danger and fear. It's not okay. And once again, as we walk through this, uh, think compass, not roadmap. And to make any life-changing 
decisions, especially one as, con as connected to one as weighty around divorce and remarriage. You need open Bibles. You need Christian community. Uh, you need honesty about your own bias. You need uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we all need teachable hearts. Because the very purpose of marriage is about the gospel, our, parts, our posture toward divorce and remarriage should focus on, first and foremost, reconciliation whenever possible. Jesus reconciled us to him. And the guy who wrote 1 Corinthians was a murderer. But reconciled to Jesus. And repentance where we've sinned. Own what, what we need to own. Where we have sinned. This, the harm that we've caused, we need to own and repent of. And finally, forgiveness for our spouse. And this is not optional. We try to, we make forgiveness optional. But it's not. Forgive us, Father, for as you've forgiven us. Let us forgive them as you've forgiven us. It's not optional. We have to forgive our spouses. And I'm not saying that what's happened in anyone's case is okay. In a lot of cases, it's not okay. Uh, uh, the harm and the shame and, and things that have been caused that shouldn't have been caused are not okay. But not forgiven, um, being compared to like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You yourself drinking poison and waiting for the other person. And if you hold bitterness and unforgiveness, I've seen it destroy way too many people. So we, as we wrap up here, just a few questions to end this and to start more conversations. There's no way in this amount of time we can answer all the questions that anyone can have. Um, we're going to answer a few and uh, go from there and continue the conversation. Is divorce the unforgivable sin? No. And unfortunately, many churches in the past, in order to protect the sanctity of marriage, which is a good thing, protecting the sanctity of marriage, wrongly made divorce an unforgivable sin and labeled people with a scarlet D. And uh, that's not, how Jesus calls us to live. And the only unforgivable sin is to harden our hearts and refuse to trust in the grace of Jesus. 
That's the only unforgivable sins when we harden our own heart. To how do I deal with the pain and betrayal of my spouse's adultery? Um, first, if there are hearts go out to you. Second, we know of story after story of redemption after adultery, where people have walked through and and would. And some of those people would love to walk with you. And also, uh, Jeremiah 3 is written from God's perspective as a divorcee whose spouse has committed adultery. Spend time reading Jeremiah 3. Third, my marriage is in a bad spot. What do I do? Ask for help. Once again, uh, there are people with many years of experience that have walked through uh, a lot of things and, and, and are constantly helping people walk through things. Uh, the, the, the leaders here, we have people almost constantly walking alongside other people and encouraging them, uh, whatever that bad spot is. Fourth, I'm in a bad, I'm in an abusive relationship. What should I do? Call the authorities. Uh, Romans 13, one and following, authorities are placed in place by God uh, to protect people. Uh, call authorities and then call your pastor. Uh, and uh, we are connected to groups that specialize in protecting people. Um, and this is all too fresh as what we watched play out on TV Friday uh, a couple miles from my house. Uh, uh, it affects our family in that uh, we have family that works with a young woman. And so, uh, if you're in abuse, reach out and get help. My spouse isn't a believer. Should I divorce him? We, we just read that. If you can live busy peaceably with them, no. It might be up to you to say this. That's not always the case. Once again, everything. And finally, six, uh, uh, should I remarry? And this is going to be the lamest answer ever. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, that every situation, once again, is unique and it takes time, it takes counsel, openness to God, openness to your Christian brothers and sisters to walk through with you. Last, should I marry an unbeliever? Second uh, Corinthians six fourteen says, "Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, 
or what fellowship has light with darkness? Guys, if you're in a relationship with a young woman who has no Christian friends that can speak truth into her life, that's not going to end well. Likewise, young ladies, if you're dating a guy who does not let anyone in authority speak into his life and thinks they're all stupid and they don't know nothing and that's not going to end well if that relationship continues. That's not going to end well. So no, if an unbeliever doesn't allow someone to speak truth in their life, no. Follow Scripture. Don't listen to me. Follow Scripture. And finally, no matter where we're at today, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're divorced and remarried, it doesn't matter. Whereas God is faithful even when we are not. He's proven it time and time again. And whatever we're going through, whatever we're walking through, around marriage or broken marriage or maybe around our singleness. God knows our pain and he wants to walk through it with us. And he wants to heal us and restore us and redeem us. In 1 Corinthians 1, 7, 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him. And to which God has called him, this is my rule in all of the churches. And we often say it here, it's like, where God has you at the moment, serve. If he's led you here, serve. If he's led you to be single, serve as a single. If you're married, fight for your marriage and serve. If you're divorced, I heal the wounds. Walk with people to heal the wounds of that. So you can lead the life that God's called you to. And if you're single, don't be her don't be in a hurry to get married. In God's timing. Paul says this is a good thing to be seen. Just lead the life that God has called you to. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do uh, we do want to come with open and tender hearts, Lord, uh, and teachable hearts. Uh, that you might give us healing. Uh, Lord, we, we know so many times that we do and have hardened our hearts. And we need, uh, we need your wisdom, we need your spirit, and we need your word uh, to guide us, to grow us, and to transform us to look more like you.
And we thank you that the gift of your son makes that possible. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand with me, please.